There are other places where I would say the leaders um, are, are, uh, are rising to the moment and seriously saying, hey, you know, that which we have been doing for 20 or 30 years isn't working. If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. So we've talked about your journey already to get to entrepreneurship. Now let's talk about the specifics of Talometrics and really think about um, how you did that in terms of uh, getting your first customer, understanding things. Because you know, it's one thing, everybody has these great ideas about how things are going to work out in their head. And then there's the concept and how it actually goes when you go do the customer discovery and you do the uh, the customer validation and then see if your customer will actually pay you. <laughs> Those things are <laughs> all three different levels. Uh, you know, walk through the most challenging mm-hmm. part of that first. Like what was the most, what was, what was the hardest part of this process knowing you have all of this knowledge, but then applying it to as a founder and getting and getting that 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 first customer. Yeah, so um man that's a really good question. So on that uh, let's talk about the customer journey, right? <clears throat> so clearly, you know, we know the space, we knew how to design measurement and data systems and da da da. But the real question was, all right, how do we know what we're doing actually is of value and finding exactly. this first first customers to be a pilot customer of our in the you know our you know our our our, our first uh, iteration of the product right and so we can learn from and so one of the principles that i learned over time and in, in particular with uh, working in the media industry at scripts was pilots uh hey let's just test this out let's see what we can learn from a couple of clients and customers to see, hey, is this really doing what we say intentionally says it's going to measure and the impact and the eff- efficacy of what we're doing? And so we were fortunate and um, uh, from a couple of things. One, we were part of the um, Cincy Tech um, portfolio companies here in Cincinnati, which um, helps um, fuel uh, early stage startup companies to build networks with corporations here in Cincinnati. So we had to reach into some of the local companies here to start just working with them to pilot some of our um, some of our new solutions. I also, coming from a deep background in the area of HR talent and diversity, had a network of friends who were willing, who because they knew me, they were like, "Hey, Chris, I'll I'll uh, I'll be a, I'll be a guinea pig with you on these things." And so we were fortunate. Um, to really have some really notable um, early stage, early stage clients test and help us prove out from Ernst & Young to Deloitte to Coca-Cola to um, P&G here locally. And so we really learned um, what that was. But what we discovered was that even once we tested it out and proved that it worked, those organizations had enterprise-grade solutions and consultancies and other partners in place. And so trying to scale up and de- develop a product and infrastructure and technology that meet that need was the next challenge that we had to figure out, right? So, yeah, all right, you know how to measure, but now how do you operate and scale to meet the de- demands and complexity of larger organizations? Because, you know, we wouldn't do the entire P&G, hundreds of thousands of employees. We would have a little sample. So sure. we learned, but still wasn't real world yet. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's and, and what I'm finding, I'm, I'm working through my own journey on this, figuring out the right balance of what's the right MVP level to test out <laughs> and how do I get there? How do I get that without 
losing all my cash and then not having a client. Like, so or not having enough clients actually pay for uh, the, the product. Like, how do you, how did you learn through that process? If you can take us through some examples Ooh. of of learning through that, because I think that that that's a, that's a struggle for a lot of entrepreneurs. It is for me, so I'm just asking you for myself. So I want to. Well, hear. let's go back. You you probably heard the frame product market fit, right? Yep. So for us, you know, we probably could have gone about this a little different. First, we were making sure that the product did what it said it needed yep. to. Well, we decided to test that with large enterprises. But right. then when we started to figure out, start to think about from a market fit, when we started going deeper with those enterprise customers, they were like, well, Chris, we already had that. And, you you know, da, 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 da. And I was like, right. oh, so we had product fit, but we didn't have market fit for the enterprise. So then we had to go through some analysis to figure out, you know, who would be the target buyer um, or, or type of organization that could use um, this type of product that we just created and validated with the enterprise players. And so as we triangulated the market, if you, we broke the market up by employee size of organizations, so small, mid, and enterprise, right? And so then when we did the triangulation and did some market um, uh, research, we realized that, hey, the uh, mid-market was a great sweet spot for us as well as high growth small companies, right? Who wanted, who needed the knowledge and insight that enterprise companies had to figure out how to get it more right on the front end as they were growing. And the mid-market ended up being a, a sweet spot for us because a lot of companies in that mid-market don't have the internal capability like enterprise customers to do the things that we needed. And so once we triangulated there, we then figured out, hey, we need to be focusing on mid-size organizations, small, uh, you know, fast growth, small organization and mid-size organization. So that took a while for us to figure out that product market fit because my experience to date had all been enterprise. Right. So I'm trying to figure out how to support my friends who are head of HR at Disney and Comcast. And they're like, Chris, what you're doing is great, but I don't need it. Oh, we got you. We're too big. And it's also it's also very hard to get even if they need it. It's, it's so difficult to get a big organization to change because they don't it, it takes them so much work to change that they were like, nah, we're not losing money now. We're not going to risk changing versus a smaller organization needing to figure out every every way they can to scale because they don't have they, they have different issues. So I get it. It makes right. sense. I, I would say nobody gets fired from using, um, uh, you know, Deloitte. <laughs> exactly. I mean, just as an example. I mean, as an example, nobody gets fired for that. But hey, Talmetrics, hey, you guys are new, you're not proven yet. And so we had to go with people who had more appetite and willingness to um, um, work with this, but also understand how to trade on the assets that we already had. Not only did we have the assets of the technology and the, the products, but we had a team of folks, myself and others, who had deep uh, knowledge and experience professionals. So we ended up trading on all of that to build the pipeline over over the years of um, companies we work with. Yeah, that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. All right, let, 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 let's talk a little more about people in general, though. Climate, you're going into climates and trying to assess climates, engagement. And obviously, you're using technology, but you're also using some of your just that 25, 20 plus, <laughs> 10,000 hours, plus, plus, plus experience there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to really talk to you about the current environment we're going through, specifically with, um, you know, obviously George Floyd and and it's not just him, but the but mm-hmm. uh, America seeing what we already know and, right. and, and we all having to go through it collectively and go through the uh, the trauma. And it's been 
uh, I know particularly pronounced with 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 uh, Black folks. Uh, what challenges have you seen with organizations when you're assessing their diversity, I guess, uh, or their or their environment? That's my first question. I have a lot of questions on this. We'll start there. Uh, <clears throat> so, Rob, there's a couple of things uh, as I kind of scan the landscape of uh, work that we're doing in helping companies understand their culture and climate uh, overall, and then specifically around the framework or constructs of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. There's a couple of things that, you know, um, that clearly what we are known for is helping organizations get quantitative insights directly from their employees and aggregating and mining existing data that they already have. So we've got the quantitative framework to how to do that. What we've had to do to help companies move through this current phase we're in is also expand our ability to get at some of those qualitative insights. So doing a lot more, and this is non-tech, and this is one of the things that I think is a beauty about us is that data is very important, but also having context and understanding that data can't tell you through, uh, you know, one-on-one interviews and focus groups and town hall meetings. And back to your earlier point, having that nose or that ear to be able to understand and translate has been very important because what what how I would describe what's happening in America and also happening inside a lot of organizations is that for all that we like to purport who we are to the world, our positive attributes and all the things that are, uh, you know, rosy and candy bars and candy canes, all that good stuff, we are now meeting those that underbelly that all organizations have, right? Yep. And, but we're meeting the underbelly and the light is being shined on the underbelly. And so that's what we're having to reconcile with is the dissonance between who we say we are and to who we are in totality. And so organizations are having to get underneath that and you can get underneath that both from a quantitative data standpoint as well as a qualitative. And I think that reconciliation of redefining or reimagining Hey, once we turned the light on and we saw that the, as they used to say, the cockroach is running. Yep, yep. <laughs> what are we going to do about that? Yeah. How are we going to clean this up um, so that um, we could be in a healthier, better place? I, you know, for all that's going on, you know, yeah, it's stressful and it is challenging, but it is the work that is required. Yep. To evolve into yep. uh, the next level of existence as individuals as society and as the overall collective. So uh, I have so much to say that that was, that was, that was, that was, that was, that was very deep. I'll, I'll say um, a couple things. One uh, about using data versus or just, or technology and not, and not over relying on the technology. A um, uh, advisor of mine, Will Hayes, he's been on the show. He had a, and, and what they do is they build out, they basically help organizations build out, uh, smart engine uh, websites so they can be more like Netflix and responsive and things like that. And, and, and so they can, they can do that in a more dynamic way and really understand what their customers do, but they don't just rely on AI. You know, this is how if you just rely on AI, you'll do what Microsoft did, right? When they created a, a racist bot and technology worked. I mean, what they did is they listened to, they got their information from Twitter and it regurgitated what people say. Cause guess what? People are racist. 
right? I mean, like, and, and, and people very and, and people get defensive about that. I don't even think it's a. I don't. Even, I understand why people get offended, but I don't even think it's offensive for me to say that you're racist because I think it's natural. What's the the harder part is working against your bias. It's easy to keep a bias and to not challenge yourself. And so I've had this conversation with people. I say Every, everybody's racist. I mean, and it's a natural default. And unless you work at it, you're going to be that way. And and I try to make people say it's not it's not saying you're a bad person because people get this out to be like this means I'm a member of the KKK and I'm doing no those are violent crazy people that mm-hmm. act on their beliefs but that's not what we're talking about we're talking about uh, we're talking about why you have beliefs that you can't understand that there's a different experience because I am black nothing else <laughs> there's a different experience I deal with police nothing else other than me being black all things equal and you understanding that. We come from different places. There are different uh, there are different challenges for people, and it's not based upon merit. I think understanding that as a fundamental is one. Let you want to say something? Go ahead. No, 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 no. I mean, you 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 getting me charged up here on some stuff. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, go ahead. You know, Rob, there's a couple of things I always talk about this stuff, and this is so near and dear to the work we do. Is it's really called what I call what we do is help organizations. I call it mirror work. Self awareness. Back, exactly, self-awareness. And once you realize, hey, there are things, we call it like an iceberg. There's the waterline. These are things that you see on top of the iceberg and you're celebrating them and you're recognizing. You may critique them every now and then, but the things that we're talking about that need to get addressed are those things that are below that waterline, those unconscious beliefs, those, uh, those beliefs, attitudes, and attributes that you're not even quite aware why you even have them. Yes, because research has shown that most of our belief systems aren't our own anyway. We've adapted nope. or adopted them from some other body, That's from exactly your family, right. from the community, or from what you see on TV. You know, like hey, thin which is, is why better. social media and everything is so dangerous right now. I mean, it, it's it's allowing oh people to create their own realities, and they don't even realize that it's an alternate reality being created. This is a whole thing about that's why I said the moment right now is needed because it is bringing people into the awareness that, oh, wait a minute, I have wait, I just been signing off on stuff and I haven't been consciously aware of what I've been intaking and what I've been holding in unconscious beliefs and how it's shaping and informing my life and therefore how it shapes and informs our communities, the places where we work, our society, our country, et cetera. You know, go to the moon with it. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean. Self-awareness is such a, a real self-awareness is a really tough journey. It requires looking at, you said that underbelly, which makes you uncomfortable. If you're not uncomfortable, you're not in a self-awareness moment. That's how, that's what I feel, right? If you're not, cause, because uh, one of my, one, one of my convictions I have, uh, what was the book I read from zero to one? Uh, a question that they ask is like, uh, I think it's Peter Till in there. He said like, what's an important conviction you have that very few people agree with you on? Mine is this. Most people are nowhere near as good as they think they are. And, 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 and the people that they think are bad are not even as bad as they think for the most part, because we lack self-awareness. We like to think that we are a lot more innocent than we are. And, and I use this context a lot to talk about race because people, that's why I think people are so reactive to it. What you, they're saying, what you're saying, if you're calling me racist, bias, is I'm a bad, evil person. And that's not what we're saying. You have to challenge this part of yourself because bias is a natural tendency for all of us. And it, and it takes us working on it. Um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. another really good book is uh, Robert Greene. Uh, he has several good books, but he has a, uh, 
uh, the one he talks about is mastery. Uh, the one I'm talking about is mastery here. Uh, I, I, he's been on the show as well. And he also wrote the 48 laws of power, some other books, but mastery, this line really sticks with me. He says like, you want to be, uh, you want to judge your self-awareness. You want to become better at it. You need to see yourself as others see you. Not as you want to be seen, not as you hope to be seen, but how you're actually viewed. And you can do that by going back and seeing some of the most negative reactions. Even if you think those things weren't your fault, you play a role in every interaction you have with people. And that really stuck with me. I'm like, okay. And I think that that also applies to America, like America. And I love America. And that's why I can criticize it. You know, America has a lot of problems and we don't like to deal with our problems. We, every time we have race, we, we run from the conversation and try to figure out how to move past it, which I think is the wrong way to go. How does that apply to organizations? And that's my question as I went on, because I, I, I see organizations having challenge with this. I like, I know organizations, I know People can be good intentioned. Some just do it to check the box. But how do we get people to really understand how to go about this and really uh, change their culture in, 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 a, in a real intentional way to really focus on equity and inclusion? Like, how do you go about doing that with organizations that really want to do it but actually have challenges? How have you done that? It's okay. I, I, Rob, I think there's a couple of things, right? I, um, first of all, I think that the 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 method and uh, path that has typically been applied like a top down from a leadership down perspective of how to evolve a culture or deal with the, the underbelly issues uh, is being disrupted. Um, we are hearing and seeing far more what I, and, and, and I, I want to be mindful of how I use this word. So I'm going to just, just know I'm putting in context of this conversation uh, employees being activists inside their own organization, demanding that their leadership address these issues. You've seen it in the news with Google and other companies where their employees are like, hey, not not here, not not if you want us here. Exactly. Right? And so you're starting to see that in some places. There are other places where I would say the leaders um, are, are uh, arising to the moment and seriously saying, hey, you know, that which we have been doing for 20 or 30 years isn't working yep. because if we're still seeing these challenges, even in our own workforce, that means that we've got to do something different. So in that standpoint, you're seeing leaders take time. And this is what happened like right after the George Floyd, you heard all these companies coming out, making these um, prolific statements of things they were going to do and support, la, la, la. And I said, mm. I said to myself, mm. I said, mm. <laughs> I said, I not, very few of them said what they themselves as leaders were going to go do. Exactly. And 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 that's where, you know, I have a coach um, that I work with, um, this dynamic brother, uh, Kurt Hill in Chicago, that I work with. And he said, Chris, it's important for you as a leader to do your me search, your inner search of what you need to do to sh- back to your point to show up differently and better. Uh, so that you can influence and lead others through their their journey to do that. And that's what I wasn't hearing from leaders. But we are seeing some organizations and leaderships. We're working with some organizations here in Cincinnati that I'm quite excited to see how they're approaching this work and taking on that leadership role of saying, hey, what do we need to do as leaders to change to create a different culture and environment? Because in the world that I work in, leadership and culture are, all, are, one, are two sides of the same coin. 
Absolutely. Because if the leader has not set an expectation in terms of the behaviors, values, expectation, I mean, performance, um, how people engage, then the culture is going to be that which of the leader sets. Yep. Absolutely. I, I, I actually think that's the most important um, asset for a leader is to set the tone in the culture. That's what it, that's what it means. That's what a great leader does. Cause you can find a lot of people that can execute on a vision. Um, but you need to have a leader that can set a culture. It's very hard to set a culture because people are hard. People are, and, and you, and you have to, again, people will go, will regress to the mean, go back to what they are comfortable with and people are comfortable with what they know, but that doesn't mean it's best for the organization. And you have to have systems in place, which is why your company is so important. You have to have systems in place and be intentional as a leader and as an organization if you really want to be uh, this innovative, inclusive uh, uh, organization. And it's not, I mean, like, I'm at the point, too, where I'm not asking you for because, you know, it's, it's the right thing to do. It is, right? It is the right thing to do. It's also the profitable thing to do. We can show you the data. Like, if it, it, Dude. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, you, you, yeah. I, I'll give you. I'll give you a little case story, right? Jeez, <clears throat> uh, this is over twenty five years ago. So this is real dating myself. <clears throat> I was working at Marriott, and Marriott was um, advancing its kind of diversity and inclusion efforts. And I remember working on that team there twenty five something years ago, talking about, hey, it's a very labor intensive workforce, right? So you don't have hotels if people don't know how to work. And we were talking then, how do we make sure that there's equity, human equity experience for all employees to feel like they could show up, contribute and grow? And that was, you know, back in the mid 90s. You look at Marriott today. I know the hotel industry is suffering due to COVID and people not traveling. But if you look prior to COVID, Marriott continued to expand and grow and be profitable because they got and understood people. Yep, that's it. Uniqueness. So they got that. But the thing that I can say about that, right, using them as an example, you mentioned a word about intention. They were intentional about what they did. But not only did they have intention, they also kept their attention on it. Oh, that's that's, good. That's what gets lost. I mean, you hear with these prolific statements and these people wax on, wax off, what we intend to do. And then it falls off because there's a lack of accountability and a lack of attention to follow through on the things that you say you're going to do. It's too easy for people to get distracted or run to the next fire and forget about this very same issue that gets chatter up here, but then gets run under the rug again. And then, you know, the shadow or the underbelly gets fatter and fatter. And then all of a sudden we got gas. <laughs> yep, I mean, and I we're going, that... we're going like, who ripped one? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a good, that was a good, that was a good metaphor. 